it's kind of like what you pay attention to grows. What you're the most aware of, if you're focused on like an area where you're not measuring up and you're kind of like beating yourself up about that instead of like seeing yourself a certain way. Like Ryan, Ryan puts it well where he's like, the first step in becoming a mentally tough runner is to believe you're a mentally tough runner. It kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy if you think like, I'm not tough, mm-hmm. you know, or like, um, but the opposite is like, you start by believing that, you know, and then, then like the more you like lean into that and believe in that, it grows. That's Sarah Hall. And this is the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Sarah Hall. Sarah is one of the best and most versatile distance runners in the United States. She's won numerous national titles from the mile to the marathon, and she's the sixth fastest American female marathoner of all time after her 222.16 fifth place finish at Berlin last fall. Sarah is the wife of previous podcast guests, two-time Olympian and American half marathon record holder Ryan Hall, and the mom of four adopted Ethiopian girls, Hannah, Mia, Jasmine, and Lily. We hit on a lot of different topics in this conversation, and I think you'll really take a lot away from it. Sarah told me about growing up in Santa Rosa, California, and getting into running as a 13-year-old. She opened up about dropping out of the Olympic Trials Marathon earlier this year and what it's been like bouncing back from that disappointment, and how she's thinking about training and racing right now in the midst of a global pandemic. We also talked about the biggest lessons the marathon has taught her over the years, her tendency to be hard on herself after bad races and workouts, and what she means when she calls herself a high-maintenance sleeper. We also discussed how her relationship with her husband Ryan has evolved since he retired from the sport four years ago, how she's talking to her daughters about the racial injustice issues we're facing in the United States, the role faith plays in her life, and a lot more. All right, let's get right into it with Sarah Hall. get my self-serving question out of the way first. You grew up in Santa Rosa, California, which is about a 20-25 minute drive from where I live now. Where are some of your favorite places to run in Sonoma County? Oh man, so I grew up across the street from Spring Lake Park and Annadale State Park, which border each other. Um, And that was kind of where I fell in love with running, just exploring those trails. And, um, you know, they're single tracks, so it's they're, they're pretty hilly and like, not, not like the Flagstaff dirt roads we have here, but, um, but I just loved it. I would just like intentionally get lost and make myself lost and find my way home to like find new trails. And, um, other than that, um, I did explore some of the other parks going down towards Marin, but, uh, but I would say Magda would be a better resource for like (laughs) the Marin area. (laughs) Well, Annadale is a good reminder. I ran a half marathon, trail half marathon there a few years ago. And it's the only time that I've ever been there. And it was beautiful. So that's a good little push for me to get back up. And it's pretty cool that those are the trails that you discovered your love of running on. Yeah, for sure. It, it was such, I don't know if I would have been a runner if, if I hadn't just, you know, my parents chose, chose our house based on the park, um, but not thinking of running. But um, But yeah, that was really just a chance like growing up at 13 to be able to be independent and go just go across the street there and explore like that was huge and that was a lot of kind of how I yeah what I loved about running was the exploring and the independence are your parents runners they're not no uh, my dad played uh, baseball at Stanford but um my mom didn't she says like you know they didn't have too many opportunities back then um but yeah no not really runners she did actually start running in her 50s though and ran the chicago marathon um in like five hours 24 minutes i was super proud of her she like didn't stop at all and uh so to to really have only uh been running two years i was pretty impressed with her that's awesome what was your initial attraction to the trails at 13 years old yeah um you know i i kind of always loved like challenging myself since I was young. I was always really active and, um, we would go mountain biking in those trails together. And, um, I would like, like smoke my family up, up the mountain. And, and that was kind of, you know, I was, I was younger than my older sister. It was kind of like the one thing I was better at her 
that was like the endurance stuff. And, um, and yeah, um, I think just, I decided to go out for cross country, uh, before my seventh grade year. And, um, and I, for some reason decided to start training for it over the summer. And, um, and I think just, I, I started doing like the same loop and trying to do it faster every day. And I just always loved that. Like I, I always did team sports and I loved aspects of that, but I think it was being able to like push myself and see a lot of improvement and, and really challenge myself. Those are kind of the things that like, um, that I really just loved about running. Were you competitive with your siblings at all? Or were you mostly competitive with yourself? Um, that's a good question. I, I was a pretty competitive person as a kid. Um, like we'd be playing with the neighbors and like, we'd be playing like rollerblade hockey and I high sticking each other in the face and like all this stuff. It was just, it was like always kind of competing, but, um, but yeah, I think it was both like definitely, um, I definitely loved the like, um, one-on-one kind of aspect, but then also I think just learning to push my limits and, and better myself. That was always fun too, as a seventh grader. Does your family still live in Santa Rosa? They're still there, yeah. When you go home to visit, do you go and explore those trails at Annadale or around the area? I do. Um, you know, I'm not quite as nimble in the trails as I used to be. <laughs> I um, like as a pro, kind of my only couple injuries I had like during my track career were from like tripping and falling, and some of those were in the trails. And so after that, I started running more like dirt roads and open roads just to keep it safe. So, um, I don't go too quite as deep as I used to. I, I kind of, I'm now exploring more of like the roads that I never r- would run because why would you, when you could run trails growing up? <laughs> it's funny to hear you describe that. I remember a few years ago, Shalane Flanian got a foot injury and for some reason they interviewed her dad about it. And he had this line, which I'll never forget. He said, that's like putting a Ferrari on a dirt road. And when you do that, like, you know, bad things are, are bound to happen. And I always think of that for faster road runners when I wonder why they don't go and explore single track that most of the trail running population would consider pretty quote unquote mellow. Yeah. I, yeah. I think just, um, the agility and like, I think depending on how tired I am, Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, it can end up, uh, like just clipping a rock pretty quickly if my feet aren't clearing the ground very much. So, um, so yeah, sadly Flagstaff (laughs) is such an amazing place for trail running. So like, I'm kind of dying to explore more of that one day. Um, but I live vicariously through my friends in the meantime. (laughs) Is that something that really interests you down the road or trail? No pun intended. I would. Yeah. I would like to do some, some trail stuff. I I don't feel in a rush for it right now just because I'm still getting faster on the roads and really, um, really enjoying them. But, um, and you know, honestly, I don't really love running uphill at altitude and a lot of the races are like, (laughs) these like running up mountains and stuff. So I think I would have to like switch into a different mindset for sure. Um, where you're not like maybe in, maybe if it's a, it's a different fitness a little bit, but, but yeah, especially when going to Colorado and places like that, it's like, like you see that there's races in Silverton and some of these areas that are just, or Telluride and you're like, Oh man, like I would love to do stuff like that one day. Yeah. I just know from some of the runners that I coach, some of whom, come from a competitive road racing background. They've run marathons and they've spent time at altitude, whether it's in Mammoth or other places. And they kind of run the same loops over and over and over again because you just have to. Like that's part of the job. And the appeal to trail running has been like looking up into the mountains and being like, I would love to just go up there, but I really can't if this is going to be my focus. And then at some point they decided to take the leap literally and get up into the hills and explore a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, especially I would love, um, I'd love to embrace winter more. And I I see the trail runners, like they, they do the like skinning where they run up the mountain and ski down. And like, that would be great to, to really embrace all the seasons. Cause I feel like as a road runner, you're kind of like just trying to get through winter, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and then like, yeah, just cause yeah, the 
wanting the roads to be clear, but, um, but eventually, yeah, hopefully I'll enjoy that stuff. If we can take a little pivot here, based on my recent social media scrolling, it seems like you guys have had a rather nomadic summer. I've seen you guys out in the truck and in the camper and in different places. I'd love for you to tell me just a little bit more about what that's been about. Yeah, well, um, you know, having four kids, like um, before we had kids, we were, Ryan and I liked to bounce around a lot. Like we used to do like a month at sea level and then a month at altitude and kind of alternate throughout the year. And we kind of just got used to having a lot of change of scenery, a lot of like change of stimulus to the body. And, um, and now with kids, you're a little more landlocked as they're in school. Um, so, so anytime they're not in school, you we're usually like out of here, like go somewhere. Um, but obviously with the coronavirus, like it was kind of the one time that we couldn't really go anywhere for a long time, um, in the spring and, and then early summer. And then, and then we just were like, well, let's like see if we can get out in like a more socially distanced way. Cause we want to be like good citizens and stuff still, but, um, but we're definitely itching to, to change scenery a little bit. And so we got a camper and, um, we ended up, uh, doing two Colorado trips, uh, Durango, Telluride and some Crested Butte and just like dispersion camping in the camper and, uh, and just loved it. Like it was, I was kind of not sure about the camper. It was, it was one of those things Ryan was excited about. And I was kind of like, this could be like an impulse buy. That's like a bad idea, but I'm just going to go with it. And, um, and actually I, I was just telling him last night, I'm like, well done. Like you really, and, and like even the one he chose and everything I feel like is perfect for our family. So yeah, it was great. How was it having the six of you in a pretty confined space? Yeah, it's, you know, we have a pop-up. So it like, it has a queen bed, a full bed and two little like kind of twinish beds. So we can all sleep in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I could do the camper. Like I could probably live in it with, with Ryan like year round. But as far as like all the kids, like I feel like we have maybe a limit of about a week um, especially with two teenagers. <laughs> so I think like our, our kids are still even like kind of camping is like kind of a foreign concept a little bit to them still. Cause like they grew up like living in a really rural area. And so they're kind of like, why would you like purposely like go out in the woods and like, you know, when we have this nice house. So, um, so yeah, they're not like camp warriors for sure. Um, so, so we're finding our lines <laughs> with it. But. Have the kids embraced it? Yeah, more and more. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think they, you know, for me, like I can live like a really simple lifestyle, like with resting and training when we're camping. And I think they want a little bit more stimulus, um, if we're just kind of like out in the woods. So yeah, short stints. (laughs) Not that there are any official races on the immediate horizon, but how was that for you from a training standpoint, being in the camper and moving around every few days? Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I I thought I would, I'm a really high maintenance sleeper. So that was like, I was really unsure how that was going to go, but I actually slept great in it. And um, our first stint, we just did like five or six nights and came back and like, a couple of days later, I did like that half marathon on a treadmill and um, ran like just a few seconds from my PR, which was like really unexpected. And so I was like, OK, the camper's not not slowing me down too much. Like and so then we did we did two weeks the next time. And um, and so, yeah, it's, it's good to um, to feel like I can train effectively. All right. We have to dig into high maintenance sleeper a little bit. What do you mean by that? <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess just, uh, I don't know when it started. I think it was Mammoth, really, like um, moving to altitude full time. And Mammoth is pretty high. I just started having a really hard time sleeping there. Um, and would just kind of be up for hours in the night, like just wide awake. And then we always had morning practice. And so you couldn't really sleep in. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I've just had to be really, uh, really diligent about like the temperature when I sleep, like having it cool enough, like having, um, not having caffeine after a certain period and, um, not have like minimizing screen time and kind of all those things. Um, because sleep is like 
it's like the biggest performance enhancer ever. So I try to be really diligent about it. Have you noticed a direct correlation between the periods when you haven't gotten adequate sleep and your either rate of injury or the level that you're able to perform your workouts and races at? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, our first summer living in Flagstaff, um, so it was, it was like right when we moved here, you know, I think readjusting to living altitude full time um, and also like the heat and stuff. Like I didn't sleep sleep that well. I didn't feel like I was recovering great that buildup and ended up with a peroneal injury um, that fall. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I found myself in a much better groove now. You mentioned the treadmill half marathon that you ran a little while ago just off your PR, but your last race before coronavirus hit was the Olympic marathon trials. And you went into the race with the second fastest qualifying time at 2.22.16. I think like five or six weeks before that, you ran your PR at Houston. You broke 109 in the half marathon. And in Atlanta, you ended up having to drop out. I think it was around mile 21 or 22. And I'd love to just hear from you about what happened that day. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, yeah, Atlanta was pretty heartbreaking. It was, um, it was a race that I wanted most of, of my whole career, I think, to make that team and um, really, really believed for it and really felt prepared for it, but, um, was, was very not prepared. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I went and checked out the course, uh, in May in, uh, in 2019 and, and, um, yeah, definitely, definitely had a lot of respect for the course after seeing it. Um, I, I just know myself and like my very first marathon was the LA marathon. Um, which is a similar, similar to Boston with a lot of downhill and, mm-hmm. and some serious uphills. And, uh, I was actually in really good shape for that race, but, um, but I learned kind of the hard way that like, if your legs can't handle like the pounding of the downhills, like it doesn't really matter like how good of shape you're in. Like your when your quads go, like it's like having flat tires. Like there's nothing, it doesn't matter what your engine is doing, you know, like you, you just like, there's nothing you can do. And so, um, that was very much my experience in LA and then, um, and in Boston, but, but Boston, I could kind of understand because I had really limited training running going into that. Like I had been cross training and was in like really phenomenal cardiovascular shape, but again, like didn't quite have like the pounding Mm -hmm. practice going into that. And so, so really struggled, um, there as well. So kind of seeing Atlanta, I was like, all right, like, um, you know, I was really bummed for like five minutes, but then I was like, how can I use this to my advantage? And like, I really committed to like, from that point forward, even though I was running Berlin first and it was flat, like really preparing specifically for the course and like doing all kinds of crazy things to like prepare and tons of hills and, and, um, and yeah, I felt like I, I definitely made some gains in that department, but, um, but yeah, unfortunately, kind of similar to my very first marathon, just like before we were even before, like the race even really started and like things were kind of notching down, like my legs just kind of gave out on me out there. Um, so, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been a hard thing to, um, to move past, to be honest, like, I think partly because there haven't been any other races and I think that always makes it easier to move on and, um, and, and start moving forward. But I think it still feels like that chapter hasn't quite closed yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, hopefully it's it just the further we get away from it, you know, <laughs> got to keep moving forward. But, um, but yeah, it was heartbreaking for sure. You said you weren't prepared for it. Looking back, what would you have changed in your buildup to the trials? You know, that's the thing is like, I honestly don't think I could have done anything, anything more. Like I felt like I, I went as hard as I could and as, as risky as I could without getting injured as far as like the Hills and like, um, cause if you start slamming down downhills a lot, like your risk of injury goes up a lot too. Um, and I was like right on that line the whole time where like, I was definitely like, callousing my legs as much as I could have. Um, so yeah, from a training perspective, 
I don't really think I, I could have done anything better. I mean, I guess the upside is like, there isn't, that's the most extreme marathon course in history <laughs> for elites. So I'm like, even Boston or something like that. Like, I feel like I'll be okay for a Boston or, or anything else, but it's like, it was just like so much more extreme than even Boston. And, and even people that run really well at Boston, like really struggled there. And so, um, so yeah, I, I guess no regrets, I guess, which is a nice thing. You're 37 years old now. You've established yourself mostly as a marathoner in the last few years, even though you do race a variety of distances still. The next time the marathon trials roll around, you'll be in your early 40s. There still are track trials next summer. I'm curious, where do you go from here? Is the Olympic dream still alive or are you going to focus on some other things that you can do as a competitive runner? Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, that's like the last thing you really want to like think about after you don't make a team, like, because four years feels like so far away. And, um, and I think just for me, like feeling like I got myself in the best shape of my life, like on that day, I was excited. I felt good. I was, and like, so to like, I don't know, look ahead and be like, man, what are the chances where I can do that again in four years, you know, it's, um, there's so much outside your control, but, but, um, you know, I think similar to like after the 2016 trials, like I, I wouldn't have known if I would have been there in 2020 and, and in much better shape than I was four years before. So, so I'm not like, def- I'm definitely not putting it out of my mind. Um, like, I think it's just taking it a year at a time. And, um, you know, I feel really grateful to have been able to improve every year in the marathon since starting the marathon. And like, I see that continuing. Um, and I hope I can, I, it can continue for four years. That would, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of staying present for now. You had a huge breakthrough in the marathon at Berlin last fall. You're in 222.16. That was less than a year ago as we're having this conversation. And I know that was one of your goals. I think I had read a story where you had 222 written on a mirror at home. And when you got back, I think it said done next to it. But actually achieving it and finishing top five in a major race like Berlin, what did that do for your confidence, not just in that moment and heading into the trials a few months later, but just looking ahead toward the next few years? Did it leave you with a feeling like there is a lot more in the tank? Yeah, it did. Um, I think especially just because there's a lot of things about that race even that I'm like, if I could have just done this differently or like, um, you know, I, I definitely wasn't a perfect race or a perfect day out there. So, um, so yeah, for me, it was, it was like a real personal victory of, it was the first marathon buildup I'd, I'd finished healthy. So I hadn't really seen kind of all the gains I'd been making the last two years, um, like realized in, in the actual race. Like I had seen, seen the improvement, like a, like very consistent improvement each buildup, but um, but you want it to be like manifested in that race time, you know? And so I think, um, actually getting to, to finish that and then also feel like, wow, even just changing these things, like there's a lot of room to improve there. It's pretty exciting. Coming off of a disappointing race, like the trials after something that is so exhilarating, like Berlin and setting a huge personal best, do you have to sometimes look back two races like that and say like, no, 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 I, I still got it. Like that was just one day, even though it was a really important day for me, it doesn't define me and I'm going to keep charging ahead. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad I raced Houston also in the trials, um, before the trials, just because especially like in context of that race, like I was not pointing at that race. And so it's like, just to have be like, okay, it was valid. Like I was in good shape, like, mm-hmm. and I only built on that fitness. And I think, um, I definitely understand like why the trials went the way they did. And I'm able to see it objectively and, and not have it make me doubt my ability at all. Um, it's, it's more just like, I don't know, just disappointment that that's like the course we selected our team on. It was, it was pretty challenging. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, going forward, like I'm pretty excited about the opportunities and, um, what's ahead. What are some of the biggest lessons that 
the marathon in general has taught you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think the training itself, like, has definitely taught me a lot about, um, like, when I was track training, I felt like my expectations for myself on the track, like, I was never quite living up to what I felt capable of. And, like, I felt like in training, like, I was always kind of reaching for like on, on the next level, but like, it wasn't like, it wasn't coming with ease, you know? And I feel like the opposite's kind of been the case with the marathon for me where like, I've already run a lot faster than I thought I would run in the marathon. And, um, and it's just like each buildup gets better. And like, like I, like I really surprised myself in training, like, um, like even this, like I built, so from Berlin to the trials, like that buildup was faster. And then this buildup's already gotten faster. Um, and like, sometimes I just am out there, like kind of shocked at what I'm able to do. And, and that's, that's just, it feels like really opposite and to what, um, my experience was before. And so I think, um, so I think it's really opened my mind to like not putting as much expectation on yourself and just, um, I think I try to really approach training and racing with a lot of like curiosity and, um, and like, you have to be not afraid to fail, you know, and, and take big swings. And I think I did that a lot. Like, I feel like all, like kind of a lot of my marathons early on, like I went out harder quite than I was ready for, you know, but it was like each one of those was teaching my body to be able to go out that hard too. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's definitely been, um, I guess just surprising, like how linear, like it, my, like the improvement has been like, it's like, it's kind of, uh, it's been encouraging just to see, um, see like the ease of that and that it's not like not striving for that improvement all the time. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think, um, I guess just like I try to, from it, I've tried to like tell high schoolers to, to keep an open mind of like what they're capable of and not, um, not put yourself in a box as far as event or like what time, like, because you never know. And you could just keep chipping away and making like really consistent improvement. Are you still surprised to be surprising yourself at 37 years old as someone who has been pursuing this sport for almost 25 years now? Yeah, I am really surprised. Um, you know, I, this wasn't really my dream to run professionally and, um, I definitely never would have thought I'd do it over 15 years now and, and be improving at 37 and like have four kids and, um, kind of everything about it is, has been really surprising. Um, I feel really grateful just like, I don't know why my body's absorbing training better than it ever has, but, um, but I really try to be uh, intentional about not speaking over myself that I'm old, <laughs> like uh, not even like joking about it. Like, um, like I try to really, um, put that out of my mind and not cause like, yeah, 37 is like, it's getting up there, but, um, but yeah, I don't feel that at all in my training. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of exciting. All right. I need to take a page out of your book because I'm 38 and I consider myself old all the time and I'm going to stop doing that from here on on out on your recommendation. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think our words are powerful, but we speak of ourselves, you know, like really can make an impact. Where are you at right now? You haven't raced officially since the trials. We're not sure when races are going to happen again. How are you and Ryan thinking about your training and how you structure things at the moment with so much uncertainty ahead? Yeah, it's hard. Cause, um, yeah, it's really hard to periodize things when you don't know, um, you know, there were some races still on the calendar and then they just kept kind of getting canceled, getting canceled. And so, um, I think what's been challenging, I, I, I haven't really taken a down week in a long time <laughs> because I think like, I'm not really good at that unless like I have a reason to, and there's not really any races to freshen up for or anything. So, um, so I think that's the challenging part. You have to have like really good self-control to like 
be like, all right, we're going to like just run this as a B workout, even though, you know, there's no race in the near future, but, but now I actually do have a couple things on the calendar. So, um, so it's really given our, our training more structure and, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to finally get to toe the line a couple of times. All right. Fill us in as much as you can. What's on the calendar? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm actually against all out. It's going to be running a full marathon. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I, I didn't know if I would be able to be in an actual race or if it would be like, just have to be like me time trialing out somewhere. But, um, but yeah, I can't, can't say what or when yet, but, um, that'll be announced soon. And then I'm going to, uh, try to do something to tune up for that probably shorter, like a half marathon. Um, and looking to do that maybe in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be probably more like, more like a time trial scenario because, um, there's no, no official races that way. You've raced everything from the mile to the marathon. You're a great cross country runner, dabbled in the steeplechase for a little bit, have thrown down some fast times on the track. What's your favorite event? Yeah. Um, good question. I have to say the marathon. Um, you know, I think there's something just so like the challenge of it is so, um, I love challenges and I think that just keeps drawing me back because it's, there's so much room for improvement each time. Um, and I think just the atmosphere out there is just so hard to beat, especially like when you run the major marathons and, um, just the crowd support is like unreal. And, um, and so I just feel like I really come alive and that's where I was, I was a little bit like, man, if this year's only going to be like time trials, I don't know how that's going to be. So I feel like I'm someone that really feeds off the energy of the crowd and, and the atmosphere in a race. Like I've always been more of a competitor than like, like Ryan, he could probably like go out and run like pretty close <laughs> to what he could run like in a race, like by himself, like no one around. Well, he, he would always also feed on the crowd a lot too, but like he probably wouldn't even need anyone in the race. Like he could just right, right. do that. But like, I'm not really like that. Like I, I definitely get the most out of myself competing. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say the marathon, but, uh, if you asked me five years ago, I'd probably say a road mile, <laughs> which is quite a, quite a change. Well, you have a couple oh. national titles to your name in that event. So I couldn't blame <laughs> you for that either. What's your favorite race? Like oh. actual event. That is really tough. Um, and this isn't Man. to put down any other events, but the one that really lights you up and that you get most excited to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't, I've only run New York twice and Boston once. And I feel like one or both of those are going to be my favorite. Um, but I just didn't have like a great day, um, those couple times. So, um, but I, I really loved my experience at Tokyo Marathon. The crowd was like really amazing the whole way. You know, Japan, they love the marathon mm-hmm. there. And they were just like going crazy. And um, so that was, that was a really memorable experience too. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Whoop. I'm super excited about what this company is doing for athletes. Whoop is a fitness wearable. It's just a band that you wear around your wrist that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Here's what's great about Whoop from my own experience. Every day when you get up, you get a recovery score based on your HRV, resting heart rate, and sleep performance that can be used as an indicator on how to approach your day and your training. If you get a green recovery, that's a sign that you can have a more intensive workout, but if it's red, that's a signal you might want to take a rest day or have an active recovery day. The Whoop app even has built-in features like the Strain Coach, which actually gives you target exertion levels based on the level of intensity your body is signaling that it can handle. If you're not sure what type of training your body is ready for, this is an awesome feature to keep you from overdoing it. And based on how strenuous your day is, the app has a built-in sleep coach, which actually lets you know how much sleep you should be getting so that you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals, which you can set for yourself. For everyone listening to this, Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Mario, that's my name, at checkout. 
Go to whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Mario, M-A-R-I-O at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop. My thanks to Whoop for supporting the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Switching gears a little bit. It's been about 10 years, I believe, since you and Ryan left the Mammoth Track Club. And you've essentially been training on your own since then. But I mean, you'll jump into workouts with other athletes. I see you running with Rachel Schneider quite a bit, um, with Diane Nakuri and others. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the biggest ways that you've grown as an athlete in the past 10 years that you haven't been a part of a bigger training group? Yeah, um, that's also been really surprising. Like, I never saw myself doing this sport outside of a team. Like, I always loved the the team aspect, and like, I was team captain in college, and was like, like baking gingerbread men and like decorating them, like each of my teammates, and you know, like just a really like teamy person. But um, and and also didn't really like running and working out alone. Um, but yeah, when we left the Mayo Chalk Club, it just felt like that was the season. Um, we just were craving a little more freedom and flexibility and, and that felt really good for a while. But then, but then I also, um, definitely missed like having more camaraderie out there, especially like female camaraderie. I love running with Ryan, but, um, having that girl time on runs and, and so, yeah, when we, we moved to Flagstaff two years ago and, um, and it just felt like our, our season in Reading was shifting and, and we'd kind of gotten what we had come for there. And, um, and we just kind of wanted to be a little bit more a part of the running community. And we just love mountain towns too. We're kind of mountain people. And, and that's been really amazing. Um, yeah, there's no shortage of people to run with here. And, um, I think, yeah, definitely the last year, Rachel Schneider and I have synced up quite a bit, um, which has been really, really awesome. She's like such a lovely person and, um, has so many qualities I want to emulate, which when you're like spend, spending a lot of time with someone, like they rub off on you, you know, and mm-hmm. like just having someone that you want that to be the case is really special. And, and she's, um, she's really impressive because, you know, she has the 1500 and 5k, but she's really strong. So she can do like long runs with me and, and then she really pushes me in the shorter stuff. And so, so we're a good team. Um, but yeah, we were, we were planning to work together quite a bit um, leading into the track trials this year. And we're, uh, we're working together until those got canceled. And then she, she kind of took a different path with training and, and building more of like strength work. So, but we're hoping to, to work together towards the track next year. You mentioned how you guys have been in Flagstaff for the past couple of years. And I know you and Ryan, after you left Mammoth, you would do stints in Flagstaff amongst other places. What is it about that town. There's so much going on there. I mean, there's great collegiate programs at NAU. You've got groups like NAS Elite. There's an Under Armour group now. You've got some incredible trail runners there and then some individual athletes such as yourself and Rachel and others. Like, what is it about being in that community that fuels you? Yeah, Flagstaff is, you know, it's a place that grows on you. Um, coming, So we came here straight from Mammoth Um, and Mammoth is like this secluded mountain town surrounded by like crazy mountains and lakes and, you know, streams. And, and then we came to Flagstaff and we're like, this place is like kind of dry. And like, there's a lot of like fast food restaurants. (laughs) Like it was definitely like a different vibe, but, um, kind of the more you get to know Flagstaff, like in the beautiful areas, like it's just like endless, like, like the dirt roads, there's like hundreds and hundreds of miles of dirt road. And then there's like so many nice single tracks and like, there's just, it's just really sprawling. So the, the number of options is crazy. Um, and it's just like a really livable place too. So that was another part of kind of leaving mammoth and, um, just wanting like a little bit more of like a city and, um, and so there's, there's a lot of flights leaving here, which is nice when you race a lot like me. And, and then when you have kids, like you're thinking about schools and, um, you know, my kids go to like a free public charter school. That's like the seventh ranked school in the, in the whole country. And, um, so, so yeah, it just has a lot to offer. It has whole foods. It has like, um, you know, 
it's, it has like enough of a city for everything you need and the college town vibe. But then, um, from a training perspective, like I literally have trained like probably most of all the altitude hotspots in the world. And I mean, nothing touches this place as far as like the actual like terrain that you run on and the, the amount of options, um, and being able to get lower and, and get on a track and get down to Phoenix in the winter, kind of all of those aspects. Switching gears a little bit. I want to talk about your relationship with your husband, Ryan. He retired from the sport of competitive distance running in 2016. And I'm curious, has your relationship with him changed since he retired from the sport? And what I mean by that is for several years, you're both world-class runners trying to win races, make teams, set records, and all that sort of thing. And I'm curious if the dynamic between the two of you has changed at all since he's been out of the sport of competitive running as an athlete. Yeah, it has. Um, You know, when he was competing, like I was like really invested in his career. Um, Like I was, yeah, it, I was, it was hard because, um, you know, I was struggling some of its points during that time too. And so as a professional athlete, like when you're struggling, it's like, you want to become like more selfish, right. And like do more for yourself and take care of yourself. But, but, um, <clears throat> you know, just with the success Ryan has had, and like, I think, um, at times, like I kind of took a back seat with like what I needed and just really like supported him and, and loved that journey of his career. Like it was, it was an amazing ride and like, like just the most amazing memories. Um, and, but then, yeah, when, when he retired, um, you know, he moved more into a support role for me and, um, that was really neat. Cause it, it felt really natural. Like it wasn't like, like me demanding that like payback or something mm-hmm. like it was, it was just like, he was naturally excited to support me. And, and that's what was, I think what's, really amazing about Ryan is, um, even when I was like struggling and even at my lowest point, um, he was never like, you know, we had family members, close family members that were like, why is Sarah still running? Like she should just be supporting you. And, um, why are you going over to Europe for her races? Like you should be in altitude. And, and he would never be like, like, he was like, no, like you need to be supportive of her career and would always defend me. And, and was always like so empowering of me and encouraging and never was like, you know, I think it's time for you to hang it up, <laughs> you know? And, and like, no doubt I'm, I'm still running to this day, like hands down because of his, his support. And, um, and so, so yeah, it was neat that like all that time he was supporting me, but to move into more of like a hands-on coaching and support role, um, that's, that's been obviously a huge blessing for me, but, but also as a transition for him, right? Because as a professional athlete, you're kind of used to that selfish, self-centered lifestyle too. And Mm -hmm. like, um, and so, and now, especially with kids, it's like a lot of his day is like helping other people and, um, versus kind of the excitement of like when things are all, you know, pointing at your race or something. So, so yeah, I think that's been an adjustment for him. Um, but, he's handled it. I mean, we're all so lucky to have him and, um, definitely, definitely couldn't be doing this with kids without his help. How long has Ryan had a full handle on your training? I know you worked with Steve Magnus for a while and Ryan was always kind of in the picture, especially with the marathon advising you, but when did he take it over completely? Yeah, I think it was, um, right around, uh, the trial, the 2016 trials. Um, I can't remember if it was before or after that, but it was, it was kind of a transition. Like, um, yeah, when I was still working with Steve, we would kind of all three of us collaborate on things. I was spending a lot of that time in Ethiopia, um, training cause we were adopting our kids and, and visiting them, but also just like really loved training there. And so I continued to go there even when they were, were home in the U S. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was sometime around then. What's it like being coached by your husband? Did that change the dynamic of your relationship at all? Yeah, um, it hasn't changed our relationship, but it definitely, um, we've definitely had a learning curve with that. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like whatever, whatever your point of conflict in your marriage is like, that's, that's going to show up like in, in that, uh, in the coaching too, because, 
it's like communication, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of our triggers is like me using a tone that like he really doesn't like. And it's, it's not like, cause of him, it's like, I'm just like frustrated with myself in the workout or whatever, but like he'll take it personally. And then it kind of like escalates from there. And so, um, I would say like 99% of the time it's, it's really good. Like, I think ideally you want your coach to know like everything about you. Like, um, and, and so I think Ryan, he, you know, he sees how I sleep, how I eat, like he knows like what makes me tick. And, and for a long time, he's kind of been like a sports psychologist, right. That like, Mm -hmm. he's the one that talks through like everything with you and because he understands you. And, and so I think all of that is like the benefit of him being a coach. And then there's the, the occasional times where it's like, it's kind of hard to separate if you're having like a marital dispute, like you can't just like leave it at home and, and go work out. Like it's like, it comes with you. And, and I think just like, I know myself, like I don't, I'm like less professional with him than I would be with like a coach that I'm not related to, you know, like I'll, I'll be more like snappy or more, um, you know, so I think, I think we're learning to like communicate better and then, and that's, that's really the main thing. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And the reason I ask is because I coached my own wife for a few years and this was all on me, but I couldn't really separate the two. Like it's all intertwined into the points you were making. Like there's no one who knows you better and can observe your day-to-day habits and can fulfill all those different roles. But for me, I mean, if Christine had a bad workout, I would take it so personally and feel so terrible about it um, that it would just end up like leading us, you know, down this road of of conflict that didn't need to happen. We just reached this point a couple of years ago where I was happy to hand over the reins to to her current coach and just really put myself in a in a support role. And it's just been interesting to talk to different people who have been in that situation and understand how they've handled it. Yeah, you know, I think I think it depends on the person too. Like I saw some like like Terrence was coaching Jen and um I've seen it play out different ways. But I think Ryan's personality um I'm really lucky because he's um, like, I'm really hard on myself. And so if he were like hard on me, I think that would be really hard, but he's like the opposite where he's like, like always like, even after my worst races, like it's just so encouraging. So like trust that I gave it everything I had. And, um, and that's exactly kind of what I need. But I, I could see if, if it's the opposite where you're, your spouse is your coach and they're kind of like the kick in the pants type, mm-hmm. um, how that could like really, um, not be good for me at least. <laughs> you mentioned how you're hard on yourself and you've written about this before that you have a tendency toward like negative self-talk and beating yourself up after a bad race or a tough workout. Has this always been the case for you? Um, Probably. Yeah. I think like I've always been a pretty like high achieving personality since I was young and not like perfectionistic with like a lot of things in life. Like I'm totally okay with my house being like a complete wreck and like, you know, like I'm not like really type A with like everything, but I think like when it comes to like my performances, like I really care a lot about them and like really invest a lot in that. Um, but even as a mom too, like I feel like like I'm really hard on myself and like feel like I could be doing more or better in these areas. And, um, yeah, you know, I think that's, that stole a lot of joy from the sport for me for a while. Um, when I was, I was struggling in some of those mammoth years and, um, and also just started to like fear failure during that time. Cause like, I felt like I couldn't really depend on my body. Like I'd have good, good performances, but then also really struggle at times. And, um, and so, so yeah, it really took like my faith really to, to start experiencing like God's unconditional love for me. And then like the more I tune into that, like the more like I treat myself that way and also treat like other people that way, you know, like can give more grace to my kids when they're, they're messing up or, um, or Ryan and stuff. So yeah, that's been important. What are some of the specific strategies that you use when you are being hard on yourself and you can like feel that rubbing off on the people around you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think like a prayer for me, like Mm -hmm. is, is probably the biggest place. And like a lot of that is like kind of like letting go of control, like 
letting go of like having to like try to make everything perfect and kind of, um, surrender, like having a more of a posture of surrender and, um, yeah. And I think, like I said, just, um, like filling myself up more with God's love and also like, like people like Ryan that are really unconditionally loving, like just inviting them into the process of like, like telling them the kind of the story I'm telling myself and then letting them like speak different stuff and so that like I can start to like change that story. I know your Christian faith is really important to both you and Ryan. When did faith first come into your life? Yeah, at a pretty young age, um, you know, my parents were um, pretty spiritual and um, and we were raised in church and stuff. But but yeah, it's definitely evolved over the years and kind of made it my own. Um, definitely, I think as is normal as you kind of come of age where you start questioning things you were raised with and mm-hmm. um, wanting to like really um, like find out truth like apart from that. And so, so yeah, it's been a really, um, a, a journey that I feel like I've, I've tried to invest in, um, as much as my running. I don't know if I always have, but, um, but for us, when we moved from Mammoth Track Club and started spending time in Reading, that was a really conscious effort to, like, we'd always made decisions based on running, um, where we lived and, you know, everything. And we kind of wanted to make some decisions based on our spiritual life and where we felt we could grow and thrive that way. Um, and as a result, like, I feel like, cause we're body, soul, and spirit as people. Right. And like when one area is suffering, tend to, all of them tend to suffer. Um, and so it's funny how sometimes when we found like when we're thriving, like spiritually, like the running actually like comes along too, and, mm-hmm. um, you're just happier and more peaceful. And <clears throat> so, so yeah, um, yeah, spiritual life is definitely a big part of Ryan and my relationship and our kids too. Um, they were already very spiritual when, when we, um, adopted them. And so that was really cool to be able to share that with them even now. Back in June, you shared an Instagram post and you wrote about how you went to counseling twice within a week because you weren't showing up in the way that you wanted to for your husband and kids as much as you're comfortable talking about it, because I know that I and others listening to this have been in a similar place at times. Tell me what led to that decision to seek an outside perspective? Yeah. Um, I think it was, you know, just talking to Ryan and him just, um, you know, just having some tough conversations where he's like, you know, I think you're not as joyful right now. And, um, as you usually are. And usually that's like, I'm usually a really joyful person. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, and I think I could relate to that. And, you know, I think it was a tough time for everyone during COVID, it was like for a lot of reasons, right? It's like, but um, I think, you know, the disappointment of the trials was, was part of it, but then just like kind of your whole year, like just having no idea, like what the year was going to be like, right. you know, you start training for the track trials that get, and then that gets canceled. And so, um, yeah. And just having the kids home like 24 seven and, <laughs> yeah. and like, that's hard. Like having four kids is, is a lot of work. Um, so we definitely enjoy kind of having the break when they're at school. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was con- kind of a combination of those things. Like, um, for me, it really took taking a hard look and being like, yeah, like I, like fortunately vulnerability kind of comes easy to me. So, um, and I have people that I can counselors and, and also friends that I can be really vulnerable and get, advice. Um, because yeah. And I posted that cause I, I kind of feel like there's a stigma around that, but I feel like everyone needs counseling, you know, like no matter, like getting that wise counsel from a third party is like, you can't go wrong with, with that. Like even when you're doing well. And I think I'm always looking to just like, I'm always looking to improve in running. Like I'm trying to improve as a wife and a mom and like, there's always room for growth there. So yeah. yeah. I appreciated you sharing that. And I, I feel the same way. I think a lot of us have a tendency to bottle things up inside and it can rob us of joy or not allow us to express that. And maybe we become irritable and not fun to be around um, for the people that, that we live with. But being able to 
just let go of it with someone else and get their perspective on it, we can come back to our day-to-day situations with a fresh perspective. Yeah, totally. And it's it's easier for people to like help you identify lies you're believing. And sometimes it's just like a couple like little lies that like I'm like I don't know, it could be what like I'm a bad mom or like whatever. But it's like if you see the world through that way, that can change like everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it just takes like identifying like, oh wow, like that's that's really at the root of a lot of the symptoms that are coming out, you know? Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because it's not different than what we discussed earlier regarding age. Um, you don't tell yourself that, you know, you're you're 37 or old as a runner and because you don't have that self-talk or that negative spin on it that, hey, I'm old, you're able to do things now that you've never been able to do as a runner. And I think it works the same way in the rest of our life. I think so. Like, I think, um, it's kind of like what you pay attention to grows, you know? And it's like the, like what you're the most aware of, like, like if you're focused on like an area where you're not measuring up, you know, and you're kind of like beating yourself up about that instead of like seeing yourself like a certain way, like Ryan, Ryan puts it well, where he's like, like the first step in becoming a mentally tough runner is to believe you're a mentally tough runner you know? And it's like, it kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you, if you think like, I'm not tough, mm-hmm. you know, or like, um, but the opposite is like, you start by believing that, you know, and then, then like the more you like lean into that and believe in that it grows. So you've mentioned your four kids a few times in this conversation, Mia, Jasmine, Lily, and Hannah. Hannah's your oldest. She is set to go off to college this fall. I don't have kids myself, but I can't imagine any parent is ever really ready to send their kids off to college. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen with all the coronavirus stuff. But how are you feeling about that? Yeah, um, it feels like a victory in some ways. Um, just because, I mean, honestly, we would have never thought Hannah could go to college right after high school. Like she, we'd, you know, we adopted her five years ago in October. At that point, she had never been to school so she started partway through eighth grade, started school for the first time. And, uh, and so she's just worked incredibly hard and, and it's been a, a, a lot of work for Ryan and I too, just like helping her school. And, um, and so, yeah, it feels, and we just found out that, um, she, yeah, she got fully eligible to compete in the fall and that took a lot of like online classes on the side from her, from her normal school classes. Um, so anyways, I think I, I feel like a, a sense of victory that we like made it to that um, finish line and a new starting line and, and that she has the opportunity to lean into something that she's dreamed of. Um, but yeah, definitely nervous because, you know, still like just coming here at an older age, like she's still learning the language. She's mm-hmm. still learning the culture, like, a lot of life skills still. Um, her life was just so different where she grew up. So, um, so we're a little nervous for that part, but she's in, I think, good hands. Um, obviously Sarah Slattery is a good friend of mine, her coach, and, and they have a really great team. So I think hopefully it'll be a good family for her. How do you think her sisters will handle it? I think they will be missing her a lot. Um, they, you know, they bicker and, and stuff like, like any siblings, Mm -hmm. but they also have like a really special bond. I think after everything they've been through and, um, and so, yeah, they, they've been talking about it all this year, um, at times just how they'll miss her. But fortunately she's in Phoenix, just two hours away. So we'll be able to come visit and go watch her races. Yeah. You mentioned how this October will be five years since you've adopted the girls. It's been a really interesting time in our country to say the least the last few months as it relates to coronavirus, but also in terms of racial injustice and everything that's happened around that. How do you talk to your daughters about what's happening in our country right now? Yeah, um, we've definitely talked about it. And um, I'm grateful for so many people sharing so many things during this time. Um, It's really helped me educate myself and educate them. Um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of a balance because 
I get a little nervous that they're like, like I tell them about Ahmaud Aubrey and what happened and, and like, I don't want them like living in fear all the time. And, and also like, it's kind of, it's kind of sad and embarrassing at times when you're like, I brought you to this country and, and then these kind of things happen in this country. And I think for them, uh, race is still like a new concept to them because sure. Ethiopia is really homogenous. Um, there's really few foreigners that live there and they, where they grew up, there was no foreigners. So like even thinking of themselves as black is kind of like a new concept for them. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's provided a lot of good conversation. And I think, um, fortunately they haven't experienced a lot of like really overt racism, but I think hopefully, um, I think going forward, just we can keep dialoguing about it um, as they experience different things. Yeah. And I think that's just so important for us to do as a country in general is to keep this dialogue going because the more that we can talk about it and come to these understandings, I think the better we'll be all able to move forward from here. For sure. Yeah. Um, I feel really, yeah, really thankful for the conversations happening and, um, and people willing to like be patient with those of us that are still like, like there's so learning so much about the mm-hmm. systemic part of it that I feel like we should have learned in school or definitely I wish I had taught myself, but is definitely new to me. Um, so yeah, it's a unique moment that um, I'm hopeful that will change some things for, for my kids for the better of their lives too. Last bit before we wrap up this conversation, and it's a question I commonly ask at the end of the show. What is exciting you, Sarah Hall, in running right now, whether it's your own running within the sport or something else altogether? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think most recently, I've been really inspired to see um, the Bowerman time trials and just see people like go out and rip some really fast times with like no crowd and like not really in a, like an actual race. Um, just cause that's hard, you know? And I think, I think even just to get to that fitness it, during the coronavirus time, like my impression was, um, a lot of professional runners were like maybe going to just kind of put it in cruise control a little bit and mm-hmm. maybe do like one workout a week or like just kind of maintain and kind of see if races pop up. Um, but I mean, to be able to run those times, like you have to be like really dialed in and, and that takes a lot of focus and determination. So that inspired me for myself as I, I kind of venture out into some more solo missions that, um, not to give myself an out, you know, that like, why can't you run fast or, or have a good performance? Like just because you're all alone, <laughs> like just, uh, yeah. So that's been really inspiring. Um, I think also just seeing people kind of find their voice in the sport. Um, I feel like when Ryan and I, like way back when we started pro running, like we were always kind of no filter, like we would share things about our faith or, um, just share like what, like, um, things that we were really inspired by and kind of, um, just to like, let people see the real us, you know, and like be authentic. Um, but I feel like that wasn't really as common then. Like, I think people would kind of just give more like canned answers. I feel like in interviews and stuff, but, but it's been, I feel, feel like a really cool movement of vulnerability with people like, um, just even as, yeah, like the race topics or, um, just like women's issues or whatever it is, like just continuing to like use their platform in the sport for good. And, um, yeah, I I like seeing that. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for the last hour. It was great to have you on the morning shakeout podcast. Thank you, Mario. another episode in the books. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. 
A big thank you to Whoop for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Whoop is a fitness wearable you wear on your wrist that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. It has built-in features like a strain coach and a sleep coach that help you target optimal exertion levels and tell you how much sleep you should be getting based on the intensity of your training and the signals your body is giving you. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Mario. That's my name. When you check out, go to whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Mario, M-A-R-I-O, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop. I'd also like to give a shout out to my rock star team here at the Morning Shakeout, John Summerford, who handles the production and makes this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. Jeff Stern for social media and editorial assistance, and Chris Douglas for managing sponsorship sales. I couldn't do what I do without their help. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>